today on Ag News Daily. How to give injections and where to give uh, injections of animal health products. But today it is. Our goal was there is to get people to understand the benefit of getting that calf prepared. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. I'm joined by a special guest host today, Natalina Sense, who works for Successful Farming and Meredith out of Des Moines. Natalina, thanks so much for co-hosting with me today. I'm excited. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to host with you. I think last time I uh, was on this podcast, I was probably sitting in a flying J parking lot somewhere <laughs> across the country um, when I was on talking about the Beck's Why I Farm road trip I was on. So I'm glad to be in a nice, warm, cozy office (laughs) this time. Yeah, so uh, for those listeners who have maybe joined us since you were on quite a while ago now, you did the YI Farm Road Trip right out of college, and now you're working for Successful Farming. Tell us a little bit about your role there. Yeah, so I work as the digital content editor at Successful Farming and Agriculture.com. So um, we have a morning newsletter that goes out every morning with six of the top ag stories. If you get that in your email inbox, Um, That's something that I send out. Um, I coordinate that with my boss. Um, Also, our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram pages. We also have Snapchat. So um, I'm usually the woman behind the keyboard on those posts as well. Um, For uh, the field around the farmyard um, is something that I get to write about. I get to travel a fair amount, uh, really cover the gamut of things, which is pretty fun. Yeah, so you also get to work in kind of the ag broadcasting or reporting industry. So you're also following the news pretty closely. What are you seeing today? What are kind of the headlines that are jumping out at you? Yeah, yeah. That USDA report that was released earlier today. Headline I'm seeing, then also updates with uh, U.S.-China trade talks uh, Mm -hmm. that are scheduled to resume in Beijing next week. Um, so I'm sure everybody will be watching that um, as we head into next week. Um, then also next week, we've got some important dates coming up with a deadline to apply for that market facilitation program um, on February 14th. Yeah, those are definitely definitely headlines I've been watching as well. Let's talk a little bit through the WASD report today because it seems like we had kind of a, a mixed bag here, kind of a neutral report, um, some good things, some bad things, but really the markets did not seem to react whatsoever. I think some of the big takeaways that I saw, at least, and maybe, Natalina, you had some different ones, too, was we lowered corn and soybean production for the U.S. We raised U.S. wheat production. Um, World-ending stocks were raised for corn, however, lowered for soybeans and wheat, And then I know we saw Brazilian soybean production lowered as well, but really not a lot of reaction when you look at the grain markets today. Yeah, I have to admit, um, the markets aren't my usual beat, (laughs) um, but not a lot of big movement that I see um, on our site here. I just pulled up agriculture.com and soybeans are green and corn is red. So um, that's about (laughs) all I can tell you. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, um, we will be talking to Ted Seifert on Monday, Market Monday. So I'm sure, Ted, if anything is lingering still from this today's WASD report, Ted and I will break that down on Monday. Nelanie, you said you also had news that President Xi and President Trump or potential U.S.-China meetings were going to be taking place next week. Yeah, it doesn't look like um, the leaders of the two countries will meet in person. 
Um, but there will be deputy-level meetings in Beijing starting and uh, more of the bigger negotiators will be there for high-level talks on the 14th and 15th in Beijing. Um, but I don't think it's the leaders of either of those mm-hmm. two countries. But um, I know everybody's going to be watching that. Yeah. We're going to try to, or I'm assuming they're trying to avoid um, that March 1 deadline when tariffs would increase. Um, so getting a deal done before that would probably in everyone's best interest. Yeah, Natalina, it's interesting you say that, too, because um, I was reading a piece of news yesterday that said President Trump has issued a statement that he doesn't expect himself and President Xi to meet before that March 1st deadline. And it sounds like then if that March 1st deadline, they don't see some sort of soft agreement or, um, you know, trade resolution come through, then we're going to see another round of tariffs put into effect. So I don't. I don't know that we're going to see anything happen positively. Yeah, I guess only time will tell. Absolutely. And it seems like, especially when you look at today's WASDE report, I would say that the Chinese negotiations are having a much higher impact on the uh, soybean markets than even the government reports themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of uh, the conclusion that the market analysts that I've been following um, seem to be coming to as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the other big piece of news I wanted to talk to you about today, because I'm sure that you'll have an interesting opinion to share with us. Have you read anything about this? It's called the Green Deal or the Green Bill. Yeah, you know, um, I got an interesting discussion of hypotheticals last night um, about it, in fact. Okay, well, so let I me... I haven't read the details, but... Yeah, let me, let me get your hypotheticals, but let me just give everybody a quick update. So... Essentially, Democrats have put together this proposal, and it was headed up by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York and Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts. They were basically trying to put together some sort of resolution to um, transform all areas of the economy, including agriculture, to slash greenhouse gas emissions to net zero, which to me seems impossible. But the funny thing to me is that they they really don't have a good grasp of agriculture. Part of their plan is to work with farmers and ranchers very closely. They say that they're going to work with them very closely, invest in sustainable farming and land use practices. But the kicker to me, and I think that you'll get a kick out of this too, is that there is literally wording in this document that calls them farting cows. Wow, that sounds like uh, some pretty efficient language. <laughs> they said in 10 years, um, we aren't sure we're going to be able to, quote, get rid of, fully get rid of farting cows and airplanes that quickly. Yeah, that's uh, kind of where my hypothetical discussion went was, so no cows, what does that mean? Uh you know, not only does that mean no beef right, or uh, super expensive beef if we're going to have to import it from other countries, but um, all those byproducts that come from cattle production, uh, I would assume that leather, the cost of leather goods mm-hmm. would go up. Oh, yeah. Um, aren't there hooves used for glue? Yeah. Um, all kinds of, all kinds of things. So yeah. <laughs> um, not to mention all the trucking industry and uh, meat packing industry that is dependent on that, um, I think it could have some ripple effects that maybe maybe haven't been considered they, yet. 
Right. They don't consider that stuff at all. I think I was watching today, too, on Twitter because a lot of folks were talking about this Green (laughs) Deal. So I encourage you folks to read it. It's only 14 pages. So, you know, considering other government documents and proposals, this one's pretty short. Um, But just a lot of bizarre wordage in there, like the farting cows thing. Just you can tell that the people who put this together, this Green Deal together, really don't have a grasp of how this stuff actually works. Yeah, there's lots of people that have taken to Twitter to share those uh, colorful opinions and <laughs> yes. uh, summaries of this document. So uh, if you're not even up for reading those 14 pages, um, you can find lots of colorful explanations <laughs> all over Twitter. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the only other quick piece of news I had for today, I think, is um, just talking about, you know, government shutdown is still looming again. It sounds like a lot of folks out of Congress and the the Senate conference, Senate House Conference Committee doesn't think they're going to have some sort of proposal put together until Monday now, or, or rele- won't release anything really until Monday at the earliest. So that's still looming in the background. Um, another thing looming in the background is we still don't have our implementation of the Farm Bill. And for dairy producers, I know we've got quite a few that listen. The USDA has put together basically three different enrollment programs for dairy producers. We've got the Dairy Margin Coverage Program, which was formerly known as MPP, as well as two crop insurance policies called the Livestock Gross Margin and then the Dairy Revenue Protection Program. So those also, as well as the uh, MFP deadline payment that you said as is December, or excuse me, February 14th, those programs are also still kind of just put on hold until we really see something happening in Congress. So a lot of uncertainty remains for sure on that front as well. Yeah, we just um, had a pretty well-read article um, that Steve Sinsky said on Tuesday, um, he's the Deputy Secretary of Mm -hmm. Agriculture, that they're moving as quickly as they can, but um, it's still weeks away before um, farmers can sign up for some of those farm supports and uh, like I said, that deadline for the MFP um, payments, the application is February 14th. Uh, Sunny Purdue just tweeted out a reminder to get that done uh, at your local FSA office before close of business on the 14th. Before you, uh, you know, take your wife or husband out for a Valentine's <laughs> Day dinner, make sure you get your uh, paperwork wrapped up at FSA. That's perfect. Actually, speaking about Valentine's Day, because that is right around the corner. So folks, if you need some Valentine's Day ideas, you could probably hit Natalina up, Natalina or I up on Twitter. I think that we'd probably be pretty qualified to help you with your wives or husbands. But it's funny that we were talking about that because my dad, a couple of years ago, we drive ready equipment, and my dad, a couple of years ago, just on Valentine's Day, I don't know if this was coincidence or planned, bought a new manure spreader and told my mom that that was her Valentine's Day present. <laughs> and her response was, well, at least it's red. <laughs> well, I uh, plan to spend a romantic Valentine's Day at the National Farm Machinery Show oh. in Louisville, Kentucky. So um, I'm sure I'll um, have all kinds of red and green and blue and all the colors of the rainbow. Oh, that's too fun. Only somebody would finance my, uh, Valentine's day present. There you go. All right. Well, Natalina, did you have any other news for today or should we hop over and look at where these commodity markets closed for today? Well, since it is Friday, I have a couple pieces of more lighthearted news that I thought I would share with you, um, just to lighten things up get you through the weekend. Um, If you did not know, today would have been Elvis's 84th birthday. 
Um, so we've been trying our best Elvis impersonations around <laughs> the office here. Um, I, I tried to convince one of our colleagues to uh, do a live video for everybody, but uh, apparently I'm not convincing enough. But he does have, or he did own an old John Deere tractor that mm. a bunch of community college students restored. Um, it's now in a museum, but uh, in celebration of his birthday, uh, I pulled that story out of the archives. You can find it on agriculture.com. And then being a little bit of a history nut, um, I found that, well, actually my colleague Bill Siegel wrote a great article, um, some land that used to belong to Abraham Lincoln is coming up for sale beginning uh, next week on February 12th. So uh, if you're near Coles County, Illinois, um, you might be interested in, uh, it looks like 590 acres will be up for auction. Hmm. And uh, you can read a little bit more about the history of the land and uh, all that's going on over in Illinois at agriculture.com as well. Awesome. Those are some cool stories. I'll have to check out the Elvis one in particular. That's awesome. I love that. Perfect ending to the Friday episode. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> all right. Well, before we hop over into today's final NCBA interviews I pulled while I was in New Orleans last week, let's look at where the grain markets left us. And of course, I've been teasing this all week. We're going to have Ted Seifert on next Monday to break down the markets for us, break down this WASD report. But if you have questions for any of the Zaner analysts, in the meantime, give them a call today at 312-277-0050. Looking over here to start with the March corn contract down two and two quarter cent at 374 and a quarter, while the May dropped two cents to end at 382 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, saw a little bit of strength today with the March contract closing up a penny and a quarter at 914 and a half while the May closed up a penny and a half to end at 9.28 and three quarters. In the wheat pits, probably the strongest close for the grains today, the March contract up four cents to end at 5.17 and a quarter, while the May up two and a half to end at 5.19 and a half. Hopping over to look into the livestock markets today, green across the screen for the cattle markets. The February live cattle contract closed up $1.07 and a half at 127.37 and a half, while the April put on a dollar ten to close at one twenty seven ninety two and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the March front month contract up eighty five cents on the day to close at one forty four ten, while the April up a dollar oh two and a half to close at one forty five ninety. And finally, looking over here in the lean hog markets, the February contract lost twenty two and a half cents on the day to end at fifty five oh five, while the April lost a dollar seventeen and a half to close at fifty eight forty two and a half. And finally, closing out the day here with the February Class 3 milk futures unchanged on the day to close at 13.98, while the March up 5 cents to close at 14.61. Without that, I'm going to bring it over here to Chase DeCoit and Dr. Ensley from the NCBA convention. Chase DeCoy is the director of the Beef Quality Assurance Program for NCBA. Chase, tell me, what is BQA? Yeah, so the Beef Quality Assurance, or BQA, program um, is really a total cattle management program um, that enables producers to learn about the best way to responsibly raise their cattle um, and to positively impact the meat quality and um, the consumer satisfaction uh, that is experienced when someone uh, has a steak. So for those people that are listening, we have some cattle producers, we have some dairy producers, other other um, entities, other livestock entities. 
what's the point of being BQA certified? Do I have to if I'm a cattle producer and an NCBA or a state member? Yeah, so BQA is a voluntary program, um, and it's really uh, an educational program and a certification that you can take advantage of um, to learn about um, industry best practices um, in regards to how cattle are raised. Um, the, when the program started, um, it was really about uh, how to give injections and where to give uh, injections of animal health products, but today it expands a lot deeper than that. We talk about biosecurity, we talk about transportation, um, we talk about herd health, um, we talk about stockmanship and cattle handling so really it, it encompasses all facets of a beef operation um, and so uh, certainly um, it's an opportunity for cattle producers to learn um, to adopt those practices and hopefully improve uh, not only their operation but their bottom line yeah absolutely so as you look here back over to 2018 what were some changes that you saw for bqa or just some highlights from the year yeah, so uh, probably our, our greatest highlight was um, huge momentum around BQA certification. You know, there were some industry uh, factors that were encouraging um, BQA, um, some supply chain requirements of the program. Um, but at the same time, we really saw the industry wrap their arms around the program, decide to adopt that and become BQA certified. And um, by the end of the year, by the end of 2018, we saw over 50,000 folks become uh, BQA certified through our online platform, in addition to, to thousands more through in-person certification opportunities. So that's a great uh, segue here into my next question, which is how do you become BQA certified? You mentioned you can do online or in-person trainings. Yeah, so um, we have an excellent network of BQA state coordinators throughout the country that coordinate um, and offer in-person certification and training opportunities um, that you can find locally. Um, and then we also have an online certification platform that you can go in, have access to 24-7, 365. Um, and it'll track your progress. You don't need to finish it all at one time. But um, either way, you decide to become certified. Uh, you got to do what's best for you and your your operation. Um, but the best place to start would be bqa.org. Um, you can go there and either find your state or do online. Chase, does it make sense for people outside of just the producer themselves to be BQA certified, like the livestock hauler or a stalker or a slaughter facility? Yeah, so um, we actually have uh, another program called BQA, or Beef Quality Assurance Transportation, and it's all about how to properly uh, haul and transport cattle, um, and it's geared towards beef and dairy producers. Um, we encourage uh, all livestock haulers to go through that. Um, I think it's, it's a new program that we started last year. Um, we're already seeing uh, the industry embrace it, um, and it's, it's exciting to see the evolution of the BQA program. Um, we see a lot of students, a lot of high school FFA and 4-H students go through BQA um, and, and a program we partner with called Youth for the Quality Care of Animals. Um, and all of those programs are, are excellent programs. If we don't see ELD mandates, the extension continue or them change something in Congress um, to allow livestock producers not to have to follow the same rules as other haulers, how will that affect the BQA transportation? What are you going to have to change from those elements? Yeah, so we certainly um, don't think that uh, it's going to have a great effect on the BQA program or the BQA transportation program, um, but certainly the BQA transportation program is being used to inform um, those those regulators and those folks about uh, cattle best 
practices for transporting cattle, uh, the welfare concerns around that. Um, and so we'll definitely have to take those into consideration and, and look at how to uh, best keep in mind the animal's health and welfare during transport. Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at at a producer or somebody that has that BQA certification done, what weight does that hold in the industry? Yeah, I think um, it's definitely uh, a signal to other producers, other producers up the uh, beef supply chain from you, that you've taken a step to do the right thing, um, that you are educating yourself on wanting to produce a high-quality beef product um, for consumers. Um, and I think in some places we're seeing folks see uh, – not only a benefit in the integrity of their product, but also uh, financially. Yeah, and so yesterday, last night, you had the BQA kind of awards dinner. Um, what is that, first of all? What what award are they receiving? Yeah, so each year we uh, award five BQA awards. We award uh, a cow-calf producer, a feed yard producer, a dairy um a marketer or auction market, and then also an educator. And what we uh, do each year at the Cattle Industry Convention is celebrate those folks um, and, and put them on display for the next year as really uh, leaders within BQA, um, examples that the industry can look to um, based on how they're implementing BQA on their operation. Um, and hopefully folks are, are encouraged by that program. Um, hopefully uh, it adds a little bit of excitement and makes the program real. From last night's five award winners, were there anything, was there anything that stood out about those award winners, something that they were doing that was different or uh, forward thinking maybe? Yeah, so a lot of those winners um, prove that um, through unique situations, they are implementing BQA on their operation, and they are committed to that program, even if it is not uh, an easy thing to adapt to. They've made significant changes or uh, operate in a significant way to reinforce the BQA message and principles, um, and that they and their staff and their uh, employees are committed to that program and becoming certified in that program. Chase, remind me one more time for folks listening where they can go to find out more information or pot uh, potentially do the training themselves. Yep. So your your uh, spot to go for all things BQA is bqa.org. From there, you can uh, find in-person training opportunities, online training opportunities, and even get a glimpse at our 2019 BQA award winners. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Chatting with Dr. Doug Ensley, who is a technical marketing manager for Boehringer Ingelheim. Did I get that right, Dr. Ensley? Yes. I'm the so. In my title, I, I review all the literature pieces and presentations that are done by the Beringer Ingelheim Capital Cattle Team. Okay, perfect. Well, let's talk about some of that literature. You just spoke here at the NCBA convention um, in the Learning Lounge. Um, tell me a little bit about just a brief overview of what you were talking about today. So, I, what our goal was there is to get people to understand the benefit of getting that calf prepared for the next stages in its life because it's going to leave your farm or your ranch. It's going to move to a backgrounder or it's going to move to the sale barn or auction market. Then it's going to move to a backgrounder and it's going to move to the feedlot. So we want to get the calf prepared for all of those challenges along its way. Just like all of us want to be prepared for our challenges that we might meet up as we move through life. So, And when you say preparing a calf, walk me through what that entails. So when I talk about preparing that calf is is 
getting it vaccinated um, so that its immune system is high for the next challenge. Um, it would involve castrating if it's a bull calf and um, deworming to get the parasites out so that all of these things can prepare that calf for the next stage. So, so we're getting the immune system prepared. We're getting the castrations. We're getting it ready to eat the new meal that it's going to be eating when it moves on to the next stage of its life. So those are the, all the things that are for prepare, preparing it. And is preparing it also, a, do you also call it preconditioning them? Yes. We're, so we use the term preconditioned. So we're condition, getting that calf conditioned for the next day. So we're preconditioning. So we're getting all the vaccines so that it doesn't have to have all those vaccines when it arrives where it's going. So that's what preconditioning is all about, is just preparing the calf for the next stage. And I caught just a little bit of your uh, your presentation today. You're talking about weaning and vaccinating. And you mentioned that a lot of producers do that at the same time. Is that not the ideal thing to do? Ideally, it's not. We all know that we do a lot of things because that's when we have the calf. But ideally, because that weaning is the most stressful time in his life, its response to vaccine is going to be limited, maybe limited a little bit. So is that the best time? No. Is it the time we do it? Yes. So I would do really focus on trying to get him vaccinated before I get him to the weaning process. And there are a lot of, I mean, a lot of producers asked great questions today, and there are a lot of questions about, well, when is it the best time to do this or X, Y, Z? What advice do you have or how are how should producers go about handling some of those things where they're like, well, maybe this isn't the ideal situation, but it's how I've always done it. So so really, I'm a big focus as a former educator of veterinarians is to go sit down with your veterinarian, look at your herd, look at what you're going to do with those calves, what the goals are with your herd and develop a health program for your herd. I think that is the key issue is to get that veterinarian involved in your herd. And you, as a veterinarian, can also speak on practices. Let's talk a little bit about deworming strategies. What is, I mean, obviously every herd is different, but what's a good general strategy for producers to take when it comes to deworming? So I would look, again, well, first off, say I would like you to start with your veterinarian, but we want to understand when the parasites are most going to have the biggest impact. So we're going to see parasites in the spring because most most parasites require a little moisture in the grass so that they get up so they can be eaten so (coughs) excuse me so the grass can be eaten so we need to make sure that we're ready to prepare to get those calves wormed at that time so (coughs) excuse me so it's really ideal to do those things and to understand what parasites you have in your herd by by doing diagnostics and really finding out what there what's there that's going to help you better prepare what dewormer practices you should have. So you mentioned you review literature, and I'm sure BI does a lot of studies and research backing up some of the claims they're making about preparing a calf and using vaccines at the right time or dewormers at the right time. What studies have you found or what conclusions have you found that you've seen in herds firsthand? Well, probably what I would look at is we see today that we see pneumonia in calves on the calf. So that tells me that I got to do a better job of, of vaccinating that herd and getting that herd. So those studies that are out there that show that, we can show do studies that show us that once that calf is sick, his his gains and all of those things are reduced. We can show that that female that heifer that may go in the herd, 
she's going to be less likely to get bred back or she's going to leave your herd a lot sooner. So all of those studies have shown that a good health program and prevention is going to do much more than treating. Final question for you. Um, as you look here at NCBA, what are, what's the number one question or topic that a lot of producers have been approaching you about? Well, a lot of it's been discussions about deworming practices because BI wants to be the number one parasite company in the world. So we really want to be the thought leader on how do we deworm properly, how do we maintain the molecule, the products we have, maintain their efficacy throughout. So those are the big things. All right, Dr. Ensley, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate the time. All right, well, that wraps up the final coverage there from the National Cattlemen's Convention. I had a great time. Natalie, it sounds like you're going to have a great time next week at the Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. Yeah, I'm hoping for some warmer weather than uh, today's negative two in Des Moines. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, I'm heading to Scottsdale this weekend to talk to a group about their future agriculture program for Morningside College, which is a small private college in Iowa. So I'm excited to uh, be peacing out Des Moines. Yeah, man, even warmer than Louisville, I expect. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, mid-60s, so we uh, will... rub it in, why don't you? <laughs> well, Natalina, we certainly appreciate you filling in on today's Friday podcast. And folks, if you're listening and thinking, maybe I want to try my hand at co-hosting, shoot us a message on Facebook or on Twitter at Ag News Daily, or you can always find us online at globalagnetwork.com. Natalina, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.